You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, our midweek review takes a look at the five things I think through the first five weeks of the season. We'll take a look around the league and see what we've learned through the first third, give or take, of this NFL season, and we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel in his Wednesday press conference from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. It is that time again, Wednesday, turn the page day, taking a look at five things I think, I think, from the first five weeks of the NFL season, but also moving on to week number six and viewing the remainder of the season through the lens of having some prior knowledge to work off of, which will be a theme in this what I always intend to be a shorter Wednesday podcast, but I think we're going to go right up to about 30, 35 minutes once again here on this Wednesday, October the 12th. And number one thing I think is it's not just a Dolphins thing, but injuries are playing a crazy factor in the NFL this season. Just thinking about the last four games here for the Miami Dolphins we've played and the injury reports from either side of said games. The last two weeks, it's been us who have had the laundry list of injuries with Tehran, X, Jalen, Tyreek, all entering that game questionable, X not playing, Tehran exiting very early, Tyreek doing the same late, on top of Byron Jones on PUP, Austin Jackson on IR. I mean, two offensive linemen and two corners, those are 100% snap takers, like guys that threw five games times 60 Oh, geez, 120 times 2 is 240, 60 more, 300 snaps each. So, you know, if you don't have those guys for a game, it's, it's a lot of snaps. And then, obviously, you know, Tyreek and Jalen been playing at a clip of higher than 80%, and they're, you know, on the injury report, not 100% right. And, of course, your quarterback, it's the same situation there. And we're down one going into the game and lose another one in the game. So it's been rough the last couple of weeks for Miami getting – your most important players back. Like obviously the, the war of attrition, a league of, you know, next man up. I understand all of that, but at a certain point losing five, six, seven of your top guys in terms of, you know, what the compensation is, but also just the production guys that you build your systems around, not having them eventually will take its toll. But then on the flip side of that coin in games two and three, it was our opponent who didn't have the benefit of a fully healthy squad. The Ravens, dealing with all their injuries and the secondary. Now, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey played in that game, but they were listed as questionable going in. No J.K. Dobbins, no Ronnie Stanley. A lot of name players potentially not available for them. The Buffalo game, we knew about Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Dane Jackson, Jordan Phillips. Uh, I think Tremaine Edmonds, did he play in that game? Tredavious White was on the PUP. I mean, injuries are a big deal every year. 
But this is four straight games where you have to look at the injury report and really factor in what teams have available to them. It's a big part of the game. But I also think it's fair to want to see your team and the other's teams get healthy because the more great players we have, the better the product, right? Thing I think number two on this Wednesday is that Rob Hunt is really building quite the resume for himself. I've talked about the job that Teron Armstead and Connor Williams have done at length on this podcast in terms of new additions to the squad. But how about Rob Hunt turning in good tape after good tape? You go back to his rookie year when he closed out the season playing really, really well at right tackle. Last year, he had a similar trajectory when kicking inside to guard, but simply did it for a longer period of time. Now here he is in year number three, picking up right where he left off. Man, he is really really dang good, you know, getting push, moving people, and they try to penetrate one gap. And he's like, not only will you not get that gap, I'm going to move you backwards and reset the line of scrimmage, not letting guys get off blocks when they want a two gap and hold the point and then shed the tack or the block and make a tackle. He says, no, no, sir. Holding his own in pass protection, picking up rush games like a seasoned veteran. He's off to a phenomenal start. Thing I think number three, and this is again, going to be a theme throughout the course of the podcast is getting better and improving each and every week. Coach did say ideally back after week one that you get better every single week if you're on the journey you want to be on. And that's not to say there's not going to be challenges that arise over the course of the season. He addressed this on Monday that he's not going to sit here and think about how hard the job is because right now I'm sure it's very hard. He said on Monday, I don't know who the quarterback will be on Sunday. We have like three potential options it could be. That's hard. That's challenging. That's why coaches get paid the big bucks, man. It's not an easy position, but rather, you know, than dwell on that, he is embracing the challenge because that is what the job is. You don't sign up for that going into it thinking this is going to be, you know, peaches and cream each week. And the job itself that he said is weekly problem solving, right? His job is to get solutions to the issues that arise, not just for this team each week, but for every team. Every coach does that. That's their job. And every team has issues that pop up, whether it's the health of the team, fixing small issues that you didn't execute the right way. And that latter part is sort of where this thought materialized because we're sitting here at three and two. We were in both of the losses until very late in those games. And those games, we can point to clear margins that we can clean up, that we can get better at and hopefully improve what the scoreboard says after 60 minutes. Special teams, coverage, you know, big kick returns, another 43-yarder last week, missing kicks, that, that's got to get better. The operation of it all just needs to be better on special teams. Reducing penalties, getting the operation of the huddle and play call in smoother. It's something Coach has alluded to a few times. You know, coming off of a timeout or coming out of a break and getting flagged for delay a game, that is certainly something you can clean up and save yourself five yards. And then what's even more, and we all believe in this coaching staff, right? Like, it's early. We're not going to crown anybody or anoint anybody. But so far, the body of work has been very good, and they've earned the trust, I believe, of the fan base that you should be willing to put your belief in the way that they do things and the way they operate because the process has been very good. We've talked about how Coach thinks about all these things and embraces the challenges and the kind of nuance of this game, of the sport, this esoteric game that we all love so much. So if you believe we have the right staff, then you trust in their own self-scouting and understanding how to not just break tendencies, but fine-tune the rotations, the lineups, all the stuff to maximize what this team and roster 
is capable of doing. The best teams get better as we go, and we still have so much to learn about this team. I'm personally very confident that they will be one of the teams that improves as we go along. Some teams, you know, can't win a game after Thanksgiving because of the way things have deteriorated. Other teams can't lose games after that point in the season. Hopefully Miami's on a similar track to those better teams. The number four thing I think is just situational awareness and execution. By and large, looking back and projecting forward, I think you have to feel good about this team's situational execution and awareness. The last four weeks, we've seen end of half or end of game situations really managed quite beautifully. I know the Ravens game at the very end when they were matriculating down the field and me and Seth and OG were like, let's go, come on, go, go, go. But turned out to be perfect because they scored a touchdown with, was it like seven seconds left? Boom, no time left, last shot, and you put it in from deep. That's great. Uh, We somehow have not lost a coin toss all season long, going back to the three preseason games. We're 8-0 on coin tosses, and that allows us to defer and get the opportunity to control that key portion of the game, the middle eight of the game. You can influence getting the last possession of the first half, and then obviously coming out of the break, you get that first possession in the second half. And the last four minutes of the first half, last four minutes of the second half, here is the Dolphins' middle eight scoreboard so far this season. Week number one, seven nothing on a fourth and seven, no less, if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of situational execution. Week number two, seven to seven. Now, we scored on the opening drive of that second half. It didn't occur in the first four minutes, but the spirit of the thing here is that the opening half kickoff, opening second half kickoff to go get points. I don't care if it's 401, it's still getting points. So 7-7 there. Week three, 0-0. Bills and Dolphins both didn't score at the end of the half, in the beginning of the second half. Week four against the Bengals. We knock in a touchdown there right at the break. 7-0 for the Dolphins. And then week number five, 10-0. We get a touchdown at the end of the first half, a field goal start the second half. And like week two, we scored on that opening drive of the second half. It just wasn't within four minutes of the half. So in total... Last four minutes of the first half, opening drive of the second half. Dolphins on the season currently are winning that battle 31-7. to We talk about the fine margins of the game. You can make up a lot of those margins in this area, and the Dolphins are doing that through five games under Mike McDaniel. This is an extremely encouraging stat moving forward. Number five, it's good to be back home, man. Riding an eight-game winning streak here at Hard Rock Stadium. So nice to be back home for not just the next game, the next two games, Uh, Between early season temperatures here in South Florida, the crowd, and frankly, just the way we play in that building, what's better for a couple of losses in a row than to come back into a building where you've won eight straight games and 15 of the last 21 games here at Hard Rock Stadium? And that's since your boy got hired here, so I've only seen six losses at home and 15 wins in that building. Pretty, pretty good. So home sweet home at Hard Rock Stadium. All right, those are your five things, I think. We're going to take a quick break here, and it's going to be pretty much a little bit Dolphins talk the rest of the way, but mostly NFL stuff and then some random stuff at the end. So different podcast today. Stay with us. We'll come back after the break. Uh, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Segment number two on a Wednesday here as we turn the page this week on to week six. And I thought it would be kind of fun to look around the NFL and just rattle off some thoughts, some takeaways, things that get me fired up, etc., And the first point, which actually kind of turned into a rant as I wrote it out here, is multi-layered. It's the value of the backup quarterback, and from that, the unknown entity. And this is not important for the actual game itself, just in the way we perceive it, in the way the media handles things, the way the fans, you know, take in their information, which is, I mean, that's my job, right? So, like, I can sit here and say it doesn't matter for the players and stuff, but it's what I do. It's what we talk about here on the podcast. And I talk on the podcast all the time about the lessons that I feel like we as a collective should glean from not just each season, but each week or, you know, each period of time in the sport. You know, like how week one, for instance, is never an indicator of how things are going to play out. The Bills lost to the Steelers last year in week one. How did that work out for both those teams? How it's not about who you play, but when you play them. Going back to the injury comments, weeks two through five for Miami have been very impacted by either team's injury reports how the season is long and these hot takes based on one game or even a quarter or driver freaking series is not a proper way to view the game and league i go back to 2016 with ryan Tannehill, one and four start he keeps getting sacked and sacked and sacked and throwing picks the next eight games he plays out of his mind gets an injury at the end of that but you can change your perception within one particular season i think every year we get some instructive avenue that shows us players change Games improve and regress, and our opinions should remain fluid. Now, that's not to say that we should be doing 180s at every piece of new evidence we get, but context is king, and it sure seems like perceptions in this sport, maybe it's just the country in general, are difficult to shake. Like, who knows that better than our own ex-quarterback, or our own current quarterback, I should say. I mean, every single NFL game you watch, quarterbacks miss throws. Deep balls are underthrown where the receiver has to kind of stop, retreat, and come back to the football. Balls that go in an area that seem like it's a total gaff from the quarterback. It happens every week. It happened to Josh Allen, who is a league MVP right now in the game down here in South Florida. At the most critical moment, he short-hopped a pass to the end zone, and yet it seems like only one certain quarterback gets those plays isolated and blasted on repeat on 45 different talk shows a week, and he's the only one that can't do it is the perception. Hell, I know you all saw the Mac Hollins drop pass on the Raiders' first possession on Monday night. He had to stop, turn back, and slow down for that ball. It still hits him in the chest. Great, we'll take a 45-yard gain. But he dropped it. And what the takeaway was, was Hollins dropped it. It wasn't a single mention at all, a single tweet that I saw of Derek Carr throwing the football two yards short because throwing the football to a target 50 yards away is incredibly difficult. And the most well-trained quarterbacks will only do it successfully a fraction of the time, less than half the time. It's not going to be a 45-yard handoff like the one Tua threw to Waddle to beat the Bills. It's not going to be like that every time. Shit, look at the quarterback in Tennessee. He can drop 60-yard dimes while getting hit 
under his chin by a defensive tackle for touchdown passes. He can post a top 10 yards per attempt, touchdown interception ratio, win-loss record over the last three years. He can carry a Titans offense without Derrick Henry, without three starting offensive linemen. And I still hear all the time people insist, oh, he just hands it off to Derrick Henry. You're just not paying attention, despite the fact that his EPA per play has been like quadruple what Henry has or any back has been capable of posting the last three years. The narrative is somehow that the run game carried him in Tennessee, despite mounds of evidence to the contrary that's right there for us. And why is that? Because it didn't work out here, so his flaws, his shortcomings, the things that we failed to surround him with, that's who he will forever be in the eyes of the detractors. And even when he's playing top 10 quarterback ball the last three years, from a statistic standpoint, from a film standpoint, from an effective winning game standpoint, hell, if you want to go back to really peel it back to just numbers, which I never do because I think it's only part of the context, if you go just numbers, he's been a top five quarterback over that time. Since, since week six of 2019. But we don't view him that way. We view him as a guy that gets carried by Derrick Henry. Why is that? I mean, I was certainly guilty of that this year. I thought the Cowboys season was absolutely cooked when Dak Prescott went down. And why was that? Because Cooper Rush had started one game in four years. That coupled with the fact that he was an undrafted free agent from Central Michigan. I'm not there watching this dude practice, seeing him get better. But I had this perception in my mind that led me to a conclusion. And I think that's a major, major problem with how this game is covered. We arrive at these projected conclusions. Then when the result veers off that course, which they do every single year, because this game's unpredictable, we use outrage to try to make sense of why things didn't go the way they were supposed to go in our own minds. I'm not even sure where I'm directing this rant towards. Maybe just myself, but I think we are doomed to follow the same path if we don't evaluate our processes and see where we can be better. The power of I don't know is an amazing thing. My take should have been, well, yeah, overcoming your starting quarterback going down is tough and it very well could be a rough run here for the Cowboys. But you know what? I hadn't watched Cooper Rush's tape. I haven't seen how he operates in Kellen Moore's system. So the cold hard truth is I didn't know shit. (laughs) I have my instinctive thoughts about how it will go but to talk on the subject so indignantly, this is how it is, it's how it's going to be, who the hell do I think I am? And I think I'm a little more qualified than most out there because of my job, because of what I do. So that's the rant to start this. The power of I don't know, and also we need to be willing to accept that our perceptions are going to be altered each and every season. And the sub-point of that is truly where this whole thing began when I began to write it, the value of the backup quarterback. We heard how Coach spoke about Teddy's preparation for the game on Sunday. He spoke about it on Monday. His preparation, his professionalism, and how excited everybody was for him to go execute that game plan against the Jets because he was so ready. Didn't happen that way. But how many teams have the luxury of feeling that complete confidence in a guy? I mean, we say this every year. Like, there probably aren't 32 great quarterbacks in the league. There probably aren't 20 great quarterbacks in the league. As in, not every team gets to have a guy that you can definitively say, yep, that's the franchise guy. Pay him all the money. He's there for the next decade plus. He creates a Super Bowl window. So then the law of averages tells you the likelihood of having a really good backup quarterback. (laughs) That's even more slim. And the chances that a backup can come in and be a difference maker, what are the odds of that? They're not great. Whatever it is, the odds that he has to play are much higher. Go around the league right now. How about the AFC East? Joe Flacco made three starts this year. Brian Hoyer and Bailey Zappi have made two starts combined. Teddy Bridgewater made a start. So just 20 games in our division alone, somebody besides the opening day starter has started six of those games. It's over 25%. 
on a given week, that would be 16 games, four games across the NFL started by backup quarterbacks. That's my main point today. The backup quarterbacks are insanely valuable, a commodity that if you have it, it's great. Now, it's not new, but it's been reinforced once again. Hopefully we learn that lesson this time. I don't know if we will. How about some of the things from the other 31 teams I just wanted to jot down here? The AFC South race is interesting, isn't it? And it, again, going back to this thing about perception, who teams are, the, around the NFL podcast, I love those guys. They, they're a fun group of, of dudes talking ball, which, I mean, we'll get, what's better than that? Their producer, I've met their producer. His name is Justin Graver. He's a big Tennessee Titans fan. He hosts a Titans podcast. I did their podcast last year uh, before the Dolphins and Titans game in Week 17. After the week two loss to Buffalo and they got blown out after a week one loss to the Giants, he said, I'm emotionally detaching from this football team. I just want to get to the end of the year and try to go towards more modernized football, not this running game, you know, heavy offense, all that stuff. And I'm not dunking on Justin here, just telling you where he was as a fan. Here we are three weeks later. The Jags have lost two games in a row and now they're not this team that everyone's like, oh, maybe they'll win the division because the Titans are on a three game winning streak. And that division, after being turned upside down from expectations just two weeks in, Three weeks later is right back to where we expected it to be, which again goes back to that previous rant. Like things change quickly in a couple of weeks. How about the big name wide receivers changing teams this season? Didn't your boy see he saw that coming? Tyreek is third in the NFL with 525 receiving yards. A.J. Brown's fifth with 436. Hollywood Brown is sixth with 417. Devontae Adams is eighth with 414. There were some takes out there about how this is the new way to do things. Trade your top playmaker and you won't see an impact. Now, in Kansas City, you know, Mahomes is different. He's a, he's a different animal, different beast, and he makes it work. Although they have shown some periods of play this year where that hasn't been as sharp and as, you know, buttoned up as it normally was with the best receiver in the NFL and Tyreek Hill. But how about Green Bay's offense right now? How about the Titans' offense right now? The Ravens could use a downfield threat like a Hollywood Brown. I mean... Trading off these guys, the Ravens is a different example because they are so run game and tight end heavy like based that it's just, it's they can sustain their offense without that position being you know the, the go to focal point. But in general, these guys are pretty important players. I said it in the offseason, the receiver position is my second most premium position in the NFL, and I still feel that way. I feel even more strongly about that now because number three, five, six, and eight in the NFL right now in receiving yards are big name guys that were traded this offseason, making huge impacts for their respective teams. How about the AFC East currently at 12 and eight? Remember the West, the division that everyone, myself included, thought might be the best division in the history of football, currently at 10 and 10. That's interesting. How about Geno Smith? Talk about changing the narrative. I don't know if you guys watch a lot of Seahawks games, but man, he is playing lights out right now. Saquon Barkley is back and that's freaking awesome to see. He's a f- an incredible talent who I love to watch. I hope he stays healthy the rest of the way. And then also I've talked about the whole too high, you know, offensive mean regression through five weeks debate, but I think that it definitively belongs in this portion. For years, we, or at least I, pondered, what are the defensive coaches going to do to counteract the way the game is played in 2022? Not just from a rule standpoint, but handling all these quarterbacks with ungodly talents and skill sets and, you know, whether it's the physical or the mental, just how well quarterbacks play in this day and age. It's it's a different level than we've ever seen before in this league. And I think we have our answer to how they're going to do it. So now the next thing is what's the counter to the counter. That's how this league works. Being revolutionary is being ahead of the curve. How will teams find out how to attack that? Well, running the football 
is cer uh, certainly a good way to do that. All right, let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and hear from Mike McDaniel in his Wednesday news conference. Plus, I have a story I wanted to tell you guys about Mariners and Astros. I wrote this thing out on uh, before the game tonight, looking at the Mariners and Astros game one. Hopefully it goes our way. I guess we'll find out. We'll do all that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So we got some news on Wednesday morning as we update the podcast here for you. And I'm going to go ahead and keep the Mariners-Astros bit live because I think it plays pretty well given the fact that the Mariners lost that game in heartbreaking fashion and I never want to see a baseball game ever again in my life. And how about we don't throw breaking balls down the middle of the plate to Jordan Alvarez. Just a thought. Just a thought, Robbie Ray. Uh, yeah, maybe you did your own research on that pitch too, Robbie Ray. Hey, uh, let's go ahead and get to head coach Mike McDaniel, who spoke to the media on Wednesday. But first, some news that came across uh, from all the heavy hitters across the you know, NFL landscape that Tua Tungavailoa would return to football activities, or to practice, I should say, on a limited basis on Wednesday to throw for the first time since his injury. So good news for Tua. We'll see about his availability going forward. But first and foremost, that news is great to hear. Let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel on his QB1 to a tongue of Iloa. No, the, um, it'll be exciting uh, for today because uh, as, you know, really in these, in these situations, you um, are relying on all medical advice and where, what, what people can do and what I've been told is he can uh, go out and, and throw and do some individual work this week so, or um, today. So that, that's exciting for everybody just because, you know, really we just miss his personality. You know, he's, he's a guy that um, we rely on, um, that, not to mention all of his play and all that stuff. Now, um, uh, when talking about this week and playing, uh, I don't see um, a scenario. I, I don't see him um, being active, um, and, I, and I'm not going to – I do not plan to have him play – at all, I, it, it's something that this this whole um, process is a little tricky. And today, he's just getting back to playing football for the first time in two weeks. You know, he hasn't been on a field playing football in two weeks. So um, today, the the focus is, um, uh, you know, again, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself and um, think about uh, the Z component. I'm worried about A, and A is. Um, getting him on the field and having him throw a football and being around his teammates. Um, and that's, that's what today's step is. And then moving forward, um, we'll go about 
12 to 24 hours, right? Um, but I, I can uh, I can say with certainty that uh, that he's not going to be playing this Sunday. So good news there on the front as far as getting Tua back on the practice field, back around here, and just excited to have that guy you know back in the fold and, and getting back to football and, and doing what he does and what he loves to do the, the most. Uh, he also gave us an update on Teddy Bridgewater, talking about him progressing through the concussion pr- protocol saying he feels good there is soreness in the pec that was kind of banged up on that play as well Uh, but in this stage of the protocol he's unable to do anything football related with the team coach then said this plan was to start Skylar Thompson on Sunday and if Teddy can clear protocols by the weekend which it'll be a day-by-day process for him then he will be the number two quarterback behind Skylar Thompson so you get Skylar against the Vikings on Sunday here at home Tua progressing back to the protocol. Teddy Bridgewater doing the exact same. Coach did tell us that Xavier Howard and Tyreek Hill will be back on the practice field on Wednesday. Teron Armstead probably not, but all three of those guys working their best to get back on the field. Let's also go ahead and hear some audio from Coach talking about his team captains and a big move they made this week in the locker room to get rid of the ping pong team. Well, I'm hoping to see them. Um, I, I think we had, I think we had three out of our seven captains last game. Um, uh, play the play the entirety of the game so um the i'm hoping to see them one but also this is as i've stated to you guys but i've stated to the team um this is not something that um is foreign to nfl teams you lose two in a row um that's the adversity that in one way shape or form um happens to every single team and captains um need to help lead people in the direction um, uh, out of that. So how do you do that uh, tangibly? Um, a multitude of ways. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really put a lot of pressure on those guys to um, make it their team because it is. So, uh, you know, one, one example um, that, I, that, I, that I was – pumped about is I think you guys will have an open locker room today. Um, Tyreek and the, the captains decided that, um, you know, they wanted to take a step forward with uh, all of their opponent prep with regard to the team and their preparation with our game plans in general. So that, so he made the move to take the ping pong tables out of the locker room. That, that, that to me is um, leadership. To me, leadership is uh, – Acting, not talking. Um, there, there's a bunch of different examples from from those guys, um, and and that's why they're captains, and that's why I rely on them because it's it's about solving problems, um, not complaining about them, and they 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 collectively um, a, as a as a group of uh, players wanted more time investment during the week on on their jobs for Sunday so um, instead of just saying it they did something about it and uh, that that's the whole reason that um, you know I really have a lot of love for those guys all right so you're going back in time now to a Tuesday when I wrote this out and recorded it Thinking about the American League Division Series and the Mariners' first appearance in this portion of the playoffs since 2001, since I am in the 8th grade, I think, 7th grade, I kind of forget. It's a long time ago, 21 years ago, 35 minus 21, 14, sounds like 8th grade to me, isn't it? Either way, it reminds me of this memory I have of, I think it was the last time I spoke to my, my great late friend Jason Jenkins, 
close the podcast with this as the Mariners and Astros are underway in the ALDS. It's the first ALDS for the Mariners since 2001. I was in the eighth grade, I think. Seventh grade? I don't know. That's 21 years ago for those keeping score at home. And it reminds me of the last in-person conversation I had with my great late friend, Jason Jenkins. I still remember this like it was yesterday because it was, I think it was the last conversation we had, at least in person. We were walking out from the indoor facility out to practice back in training camp. And I saw Jason well up ahead of me talking to another member of the media with a big smile on his face. And they had already done the handshake and hug combination, which was not uncommon for Jason. In fact, I don't think I ever saw him interact with anybody where he didn't do this. So he's doing that. I'm like, oh, there's Jason. I had something I wanted to tell him about. So he's away ahead. And I, I do that fast walk where you're trying to close ground on somebody. I finally catch up by the time that we traversed the entire width of the practice field and had gotten over to the bleachers on the south side of the complex. And the Mariners at that time had been putting in some distance between themselves and the sixth seed which would then mean a wild card round victory in the 4-5 game, uh, the 4-5 series, would then advance that team to face one-seeded Houston. Now, the first time Jason and I really met, and I'm not talking about in passing or emails or just, you know, press box hellos and handshakes, but sitting down and having a meal together, we talked about our shared love of sports as kids. And he told me how he would track stats and collect figurines, the same things that I would do, the same things that little boys who love sports all do, Right. And I told him about my whiteboard. Now, those of you that were with me during Locked On days know about the whiteboard, the famed whiteboard. And on that thing, before it became Dolphin Central with all the depth charts and the schedules and potential prospects of draft picks and free agents, all that fun stuff that I track, was how I tracked not just the standings of my favorite players or teams in sports, my favorite player stats, where I would get the newspaper and a calculator and update batting averages and home runs, RBIs, all that fun stuff. So that breakfast was when he told me he was a Houston native and the Astros were his first love. So my first question was, what was it like to win the World Series and then see the stealing signs scandal come to light? And I'll never forget his response because it made me feel sympathy for the fans of a team that I was so committed to despising for the rest of my life. I mean, division rival caught cheating in a very obtuse way and Jason just says, it was like finding out Santa Claus is not real. And I've tell that story because only Jason could make me peel back that vitriol the Mariners fan in me feels for the Astros. Don't get me wrong, I still hope we sweep them in three games, but I don't have the same level of hatred anymore because of Jason Jenkins. But back to camp, I approach him and say, man, boss, this isn't a good thing because you guys, as recently as two years ago, beat us 18 games out of 19 in the regular season. It looks like we are heading for an inevitable Mariners and Astros divisional round series. And he gets that big ear-to-ear grin across his face that he was so known for wearing and just says, good, the palate cleansers. And for those that didn't hear the pod back when I told the story, he would always say the Mariners, when they were on the schedule for the Astros after a couple of losses or a losing streak or some bad stretch of play, he was always glad the palate cleansers were coming to town to help them get back on their winning track. So with the Mariners and Astros finally getting this series two months after that conversation, I cannot help but think about my friend. I miss you, man. I miss you more than than anything. It's uh, been hard hard without you, but these these moments, this this series, I'm going to be thinking about you the entire time. Go Mariners, and I hope they take out the palate cleanser uh, role and become the team that knocks the Astros out of the playoffs this year. I, cer- I certainly would let you know about that if you were still here, and I know you would do the same to me 
uh, if the Astros take care of business. So that's my time. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Tomorrow, the Vikings preview podcast on Friday. We'll do perspective from Minnesota. I'm not sure who the guest is just yet, but we'll have that for you guys here shortly. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Our Twitter Spaces show back tonight at 8 o'clock on Twitter. Our international podcast on the network as well as the post-game show on 560 WQAM. That is the moment the game ends. We are on the air talking Dolphins football. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities. Dolphins Today, Drive Time and Fish Tank content for y'all up there. Cinematic Recap, all kinds of good stuff on the YouTube channel. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy's coming home. Go Mariners.